You are listening to the Evolution Exchange Podcast Australia, a melting pot of ideas and inspiration shared by some of the most successful tech leaders in Australia. I'm Matt. I help connect businesses with tech talent, and today I'm your host. So, hey, everyone, and welcome back to the podcast. Today, we have a variety of leaders across both the Sydney and Melbourne engineering industry. The topic we will focus on and answer surrounding questions in relation to will be how to cultivate a motivated, accountable, and driven engineering team. To get things started, I think it would be best if everyone introduced themselves with who you are, what you do, and what you are passionate about. To get things started, I'll start with you, Isabel, if you could kick us off. Mm-hmm. Sure. Thanks. Thanks for having me in this podcast. So my name is Isabel New, and I'm a head of engineering at Alassian. Alassian is a software company that develops collaboration products like Jira, Jira Service Management, and Confluence to unleash the potential of every team in all industry. And as for myself personally, my personal mission is to enable tech professionals to achieve the next level of leadership, impact, and happiness in their career via resources to an inspiration. And I really love sharing my knowledge with others. And hence, I'm on this podcast today. Awesome. Thanks, Ian Trisvel. And Alex, I'll pass to you next. Hi, all. Thanks for having me, Matt. Um, so my name is Alex. I'm a software engineer manager um, from Neutron Ag Solutions. I've been there for two years now. Uh, we are one of the leading organizations in agriculture industry and continue to broaden our digital transformations project. Um, I was from a developer background and DevOps, so I'm really passionate about technology stacks. And uh, right now it's uh, broadened up to uplifting and coaching engineers whenever I can. Um, personally, I like outdoor activities. So yeah, that's keep me busy and out of the work uh, whenever I can. Thanks, that, Alex. And Elijah, you next. Thanks, Matt. Uh, hi, everyone. My name is Elijah. I'm a digital delivery manager at Bunnings in the digital team. Uh, the last couple of years, we've been really working to bring Bunnings digital services to life and, and scale that, especially through the COVID era. Um, I lead a tribe of different squads, and our key focuses are on search, product data, and growing our marketplace presence. So I'm really excited about this conversation and how to scale and, and you know encourage high-performing engineering teams. It's something we're trying to do every day. Um, personally, really passionate about golf outside of work. Uh, I wish my skill level matched my enthusiasm for it, but it doesn't. So I'll keep working at that one. And that's it. Thanks. Thanks, Elijah. And last but not least, Ben. Thanks, Matt. Hi, everyone. Uh, ben Mackey, CTO of Quilla. Uh, Quilla is uh, creating web-based proposals and sales collaboration software. So revolutionizing the way sales is done and collaboration between organizations. Uh, my passions, uh, oh, actually, with Quilla, we are uh, Series A uh, getting towards scale-up. So getting from a startup to scale-up is something I'm quite uh, passionate about after having uh, had great experiences in higher-scale companies like Atlassian. Uh, and my passion that weaves in and out of all of that is how product technology and product teams can collaborate effectively uh, both together but also uh, between technology and, and business. And I just love the, the, the bridge building uh, between the worlds of technology uh, and business. Awesome. Thanks, that Ben, and thanks, everyone, for your introductions. So we'll get straight into it um, and get straight into this first question, which is from Isabel, with the question being, what metrics should you use to measure the performance of an engineering team? So I'm going to pass it to you first, Alex, and get us to get started with this one and give, give us your thoughts. Yep, sure. Um, so the way I look at measuring metrics, it comes to in my mind. Uh, one is on the operations and one is on the actual uh, delivery squad, right? So from the operations side, you've got the DORA, which I think is very common standard that used by across the industry. You've got the deployment frequencies, lead time changes, failures, and time to restore service. Those those are kind of the generic metrics that's kind of used for operations. But there's also the delivery squad where we're targeting on the developer itself. So <clears> on <throat> top of the DORA, you've got the cycle time, which um, kind of measure from the kickoff of the feature out to when it's ready to production to the customers. Um, and generally, that is kind of the common metrics that we used. Uh, but also, personally, I'm very interested in the actual coding time, uh, the pickup time, also the review time, and the uh, re- review um, activities across uh, different developers. So 
we use a number of tools to actually capture those. Um, so that's kind of like uh, integrated into the uh, source code repository GitHub. Um, and that give us a, a very good view, overall view on, on how the uh, developer is actually performing uh, individually, but across the teams as well. Um, I guess on top of that, we got the, you know, the velo velocity uh, on the squad as well, which kind of can keep captured in Jira. Uh, code coverage and quality, that's kind of the, uh, a must, I guess, <laughs> um, across the uh, engineers. Uh, we use, again, there's a couple of tools that's available in, 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 in the space to, um, to be able to integrate it and capture the metrics for us. Um, so yeah, um, there's a lot of it. Uh, but. Personally, I, I really enjoy looking at the coding time, the review depth even, um, because I like the the idea of having, seeing uh, collaborati collaboration between the developers um, across different teams. Um, on top of that, one of the uh, interesting metrics that we capture as well is about the refactoring and the rework of the code. So generally, when it comes to tech depth and whatnot, um, those metrics will be able to show us how much code that has been actually reworked over the time or refactored or even the new piece of code that's been developed over the time. So that allows us to identify problems earlier whenever we can and also try to mitigate it whenever we can. But yeah, that's generally how we do it. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Uh, Elijah, I'll pass to you next. Yeah, similar, some similar answers, but great question. Uh, so for me, there's one, and this probably comes from my delivery background, of looking at the consistency of delivery. And so I think regardless of the types of metrics we use, whether, you know, sometimes using throughput, some are using velocity, for me, it's really something I've started talking with my teams around, around that consistency of delivery. So I don't care what the numbers are. But I don't want to see a team going sprint to sprint, not delivering a whole lot, and then absolutely spiking and delivering 60 or 70 tickets in a sprint and falling back off again. And so we started to see that, I think, in the early days with some of our teams. And I think most teams do as a maturity, kind of working out your processes, you end up doing a huge release. And, you know, as, as we get more mature, we move more towards that continuous delivery. But that's been a really big thing for, for me personally and our teams around looking at how do we how do we get consistency? How do we reduce the troughs and how do we kind of, just, you know, hopefully encourage some spikes, but but bring them down so that the team isn't moving through this really stressful cycle of huge releases and, and go lives. And instead, we're, we're releasing in a much more sustainable fashion. On the door side, I really love cycle time, but I think similar to Alex, really digging into the actual areas of cycle time. So for us, it's around how long will something sit in the development phase for, how long are we spending in testing, and then how long are we waiting for that particular change to wait for it to get to production. And that gives us a lot of really interesting insights around not just, um, you know, overall cycle time is great, but it gives us areas where we can look at and say, well, maybe our engineers quality engineers or our testers aren't working together, maybe our automation frameworks aren't in the best place. If we're seeing a high cycle time in testing, um, maybe if we're waiting for deployments or releases, you know, ideally we'd be continuous releasing all the time, um, but the reality is we're not currently, you know, there at that, that level. But I think if we're seeing that, then we know there's some infrastructure work we've got to invest in to try and speed up our changes. So there are two things from, I guess, hard metrics that I really love and passionate about. Um, something a little softer, though, I, I'm really interested in something for me. I don't know exactly how to measure this, but more of a gut feel around how a team responds to requests from outside the team. And so I find it really interesting when a team's under pressure, under stress, that usually if they get a request, hey, you know, we've got a dependency or we need your help, if they're, if they're under pressure and not performing very well, the general response is, sorry, we're too busy, come back next quarter. Uh, we just, we can't fit it in, we can't do it right now. And the general reaction is defensive. Um, whereas what I'm looking for with, with a lot of our teams is as we move into the state of maturity, that we can have them, you know, be a little more comfortable. Obviously, we don't want them having all the free time to help other teams, but not being too reactive and able to go, yeah, no worries. Look, we can actually carve out an hour or two today. We'll, we'll help you with that dependency. So... Probably that collaboration outside of the squad, but yeah, they're the, they're the few things that I'm really interested in. Thanks, Elijah. And passing on to you next, Ben. 
Thanks, Matt. Yeah, when it comes to measuring performance of an engineering team, uh, we've been talking a bit about velocity, some really good comments on velocity. I think it kind of starts with quality, like what 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 is the bar of excellence? Because you could always do crap things to go faster. Um, so, you know, I think you have, and they're also the easier things to measure. So is is, is your service available as a performant? Are there, are there no bugs? That kind of thing. Um, but once you establish that, that, that baseline, which I think is important first, then you can start sort of talking about velocity because you've got those quality guardrails uh, in place. And, and then the goal really is how fast can we move uh, within those guardrails? And I really like what Elijah was talking about there with uh, respect to, I guess, what I call slack in the system um, and reliability of delivery. <clears throat> it, I, I Similarly, I like to get a team reliable first before then thinking about how hard the, the pedal is to the metal kind of thing. And uh, and I, I think whether you have slack or not, it can sometimes actually mean like you could be cruising a little bit if there's a lot of slack. So, uh, you know, there's, there needs to be some urgency as well. I think there's the, the classic dilemma in an engineering team is there's a tension between reliability and speed when it comes to uh, uh, estimates and, and meeting estimates and so forth. So, you know, I think a, a good engineering leader is aware of those that tension and is sort of wanting reliability, but also also wanting, uh, we have a principle in our team we call positive urgency, right? Because we, we don't want to create like pressure. We think that's negative, but we want to create a culture where everyone in the team is is really wanting to deliver um, regularly, like like Elijah was saying. Um, and so, yeah, that, that is a little bit of, uh, about how the team is reflecting itself on sprint by sprint. Is it achieve, Is it making commitments uh, and achieving them and cadence to me? And I think there's a classic agile thing of uh, you know, cadence and, and measuring velocity being something that is a bit more introspective. I think beyond that, um, what I'd just add quickly is there's a lot of metrics we could talk about that matter within the team, but I like to try and keep things simple around like quality and velocity and how it's reflected in an organization to, to really demonstrate like the impact of engineering uh, in, in the organization. Because once you nail those two, you can start talking about softer topics, like how, how the team's innovating and, and adding additional value. So that's that'd be the little cherry on the top for me. Thanks, Ben. And Isabel. Sure, thanks. I really like the mention of the soft and hard metric because for me, I think there are two types of metrics that we can measure when it comes to the performance of a software engineering team. The first one is the quantitative metrics that we are all familiar with or the hard metrics and they are very easy to measure as in you can obtain these scientifically. But then the second type of metrics that is important to measure but a lot harder to measure is the qualitative metrics. So let me start with the quantitative metric and a lot of you have already mentioned things like cycle time, time to delivery, what's the time to PR, time to deployment, like different stages, and also the velocity, how many story points are being completed in a sprint, whether there's like a stability in the team, how many incident reliability and things like that. So these are very important to measure and specific for software engineering teams. And the second type of metrics that I mentioned earlier, which we are going to dive a little bit deeper into, is the qualitative metric. So the team, say the team is very productive, they are busy with stuff, they deliver consistently, they have really good story point. But do they actually add value? How do, how do we find out? So qualitative metrics usually can be measured by speaking to people. People can be customer or other employee or other stakeholder in the team. And I've use things like net promoter score, so NPS, to get the sentiment of the customer on what has been delivered. So there is a good measure for a software engineering team because they can be busy with many things, but are these things actually translating to business value? And that is the important thing to measure. And I also encourage my engineering manager to get feedback about their software engineers on the ground on how they work and what are the behaviors that they have been establishing. And I think this is important because high performer will quickly leave the team when they find there's a low performer who is not being held accountable or there's a sub quality that is being accepted by their manager. So it's also important to measure this. 
And at the end of the day, I believe that having all this data and measurement is good, but the best thing comes from really acting on them. So self-reflection, reflecting on what has been measured, whether there's things that need to be improved is the key to creating a high-performing team. Awesome. Thanks for that answer, Isabel. And look, some great answers there. I think, is there anything else anyone wants to add? I know there were some very detailed responses, but double check it out. All good. Well, we'll move on to, to the next question, which is from Alex being, how can an engineering team be encouraged to take ownership of their work and be self-driven? So I'm actually going to start with you, Eliza, and get you to kick us off with uh, your thoughts on this one. Well, no problem. So... I think this is a great question and some similarities with, I think, another, a few of the other questions. So some of these might might come up again. But for me, I think there's a lot of conversations that we've got to have around understanding what drives the individual engineers within, within the squad and understanding or the team and understanding what their goals are um, and where they want to take their work. And so I think that's important because often we see them wanting to step up and take ownership of work that they are actually interested in and want to personally drive as opposed to saying, hey, we've got this piece of work. We'd love you to step up and take take leadership of it uh, that they're not interested in and doesn't align with their goals. So finding that sort of balance between how we're planning out our strategic work and, our, and the work that comes through the delivery pipeline and hopefully finding a little bit of a match with something that grows their personal and their, their professional goals. So that's one thing uh, that I'm really interested in is just trying to find that overlap and that, and that match between the two. No, no, won't always get it perfect. Um, a second thing around is is the culture of just a growth mindset. And a lot of a lot of our team, we've uh, been talking about the book that I'm sure you know most people have read from Carol Dweck around mindset and growth first fixed mindset. And it's a really fascinating book and something that I found really helpful when talking to engineers around you know next steps and that idea around having a growth mindset, being open to change, being open to learning and experimenting and growing and being okay with, you know, failure. If something doesn't go wrong, then it's okay. Um, so off the back of that, then there's, I think, the final conversation, which is just around trust and providing that safe environment within the team so that, you know, obviously if something goes wrong, making sure that the guardrails are up, that it's not catastrophic, uh, but making sure that they're protected and, and there's time to remediate and things like that. So they're kind of the three things for me, I think, that are, are really important. Awesome. Thanks, Liza. And Ben? Yeah, that's a great, great question and good, good answer there, Elijah, for me. Um, I think it starts with an initiative and it, that depends a bit on your culture, right? Like, so you, you, you could have an engineering culture which is quite introverted. People are kind of holding back. They, they, they don't want to um, step up and, and establishing initiative, getting confidence that, that moving forward independently is a good place to start. Uh, is where you need to be, but but then you have other engineering cultures where there's a lot of initiative flowing around, and it's more about organising the chaos that that can uh, create, right? Um, so so assuming that you're in that kind of culture where there is strong initiative, or maybe there's a mix of both. Uh, I, I think first establishing like what what is our standard of excellence? Uh, I, I love practices like definitions of done, definitions of ready, and so on because that helps both of those people, like for the introverts, it says, hey, oh, I actually now, uh, I can see the goal, I can see the standard, so uh, I can have more confidence to, to meet that. I don't need to like ask someone continuously, am I doing well? Um, it's, it's kind of more laid out, whereas uh, for, for those who are already showing a lot of initiative, it creates more accountability. Uh, I think sometimes when we talk about ownership, it's really easy to just assume it's about initiative and not about like accountability, but I think they have to both really be together uh, in the definition of ownership. And so for those who, like, initiative isn't a problem, uh, they, they I typically need to create that conversation, of, okay, yeah, but with initiative comes accountability, right, to to our shared standards uh, of excellence. And, and, then, and then everyone starts to understand what the social contract is there. Uh, and, and as a leader, you can relax more because everyone knows this is the standard uh, and it's posit a positive standard because it creates this freedom uh, for people to demonstrate more ownership. Uh, I think if, if, if as leaders we're honest with ourselves, we, 
we provide more space for ownership when that's in place. And, and if that's not happening, then and if we start to dig into that, we can see that there's something, uh, you know, isn't working in relation to initiative uh, and accountability. Awesome. Thanks for that, Ben. Uh, Isabel. Okay. So I truly believe that the responsibility of an engineering manager, whether they are a frontline engineering manager or a delivery manager, head of engineering or a CTO is to create an environment that allows for ownership and driven, like self-drivenness. So what this means is the environment. What's the environment? We need to have the right people in the right roles. Not everyone is going to excel in certain roles. So we need to create an environment where we have the right people, right role, and there needs to be effective ways of working. We don't want people to step onto each other's toes, but we also want people to have autonomy. So how do we create that kind of thing? And it's super important. And lastly, it's also important to have a shared understanding around what success means to the group. And this shared understanding is important. So personally, I found that in my management journey, there are four principles that have worked for me when I take over a new team or when I initiate a new team or when I start a new team. And to make it easy for everyone, let's call them four C. So the first C is clarity and context. You need to provide this clarity and context as a leader or at the engineering manager of a team so that everyone know where they are going, where everyone needs to head to work. So that's the first C clarity and context. And it's the responsibility of the engineering leader to provide this. You can't expect everyone on the ground to like work hard, take ownership if they don't even know where they are going as a group. So that's the first C. Second C is courage. And I choose this as courage instead of confident because I found that sometimes you might not have confident and confident to do things or confident to take ownership or confident to take initiative. But by taking the action from a place of courage, you actually build that confidence. So it's very important for me personally and for the people that I look after to make sure that they are courageous to take risks and they are okay with failure. Like Elijah just said, like failure is okay, but we need to make sure that there's certain boundary as well. And this is where the clarity comes in. And the third C is creativity. Sometimes I think in big company, we get a little bit scared to do things and we just do things because we are told to do. But we need to, as leader, we need to encourage creativity, especially in this environment where lots of things are changing in the technology landscape, lots of like, different things happening, AI is coming. We need to have creative thinking and creativity to think about things in a different perspective. Maybe some things can be done in a different way. It doesn't have to be the same way or same like proven methods that we need to use every time. And make it fun, make it rewarding. Because at the end of the day, you want to have a fulfilling career, right? Like you don't want to just come into work and just do whatever that you are told to do. And this, when things are fun, rewarding, and there's clarity, people will naturally take accountability and ownership. And the last C is care. And this is super important because at the end of the day, we are all human and we are doing something for other human, right? Customer, like whether it's about building software products or doing something, creating certain things. So it's important for us to have empathy for each other, be kind to each other and also to the customer. Not everyone is going to have the same value. Not everyone is going to think about things the same way, but if we, have like empathy and kindness to each other, we can achieve great things. And those are really important in my opinion, the four C. Awesome. Thanks, that Isabel. And Alex? Um, <clears throat> I really like the four C that Isabel mentioned, especially the last one, uh, care, because that's the main culture that we are trying to encourage um, in the team, uh, in our company. Um, and clearly, I guess uh, I have almost the same as the four years Isabel has, but it's not as organized, obviously. <laughs> um, but the one that I have is um, the, the clear goals and expectations uh, around that area. Um, what success means to the team? Uh, what are the outcome that we are expecting? Uh, not so much of dictating the, the, the process of achieving it, 
but just giving the outcome and let the team improvise and be creativity, uh, creative on, on how they're going to achieve that. Um, <clears throat> the second one that we have is about uh, giving the team autonomy uh, and authority to make decisions. Um, sometimes we do find uh, some of the engineers are really just uh, waiting for giving the instructions and uh, prescribe in detail on what we need to do, uh, what they need to do. Um, but um, the challenge that we found in there was uh, some of the people or key stakeholders become the the, the the bottleneck for all the decisions that needs to be happened. So um, by giving the team the autonomy and authority, I guess it encouraged them to um, make the decision, uh, the decision themselves, uh, but also come up with uh, some solution themselves, right? Um, encourage them to take, you know, I guess, uh, the risk as in, in control environment uh, and not afraid from learning from mistakes, right? Uh, we do need to provide them with a space, safe space uh, for them to work with. Um, and if there's anything wrong, then at least, you know, it's being guarded um, <clears throat> and just learn from the mistakes um, <clears throat> of what happened. Um, and I think lastly, it's about fostering the, the culture of trust. Um, I believe uh, Elijah mentioned um, open communications. I think uh, allow the team members to feel comfortable to share uh, their ideas and whatnot. Uh, that of, often really helps a lot. Um, and it does really encourage those that are being, being quieter kind of uh, developers or introverts developers be able to, to show more and encourage them to, to collaborate more. Uh, that usually uh, happens and, and quite effective for them. Awesome. Thanks, Alex. Anyone else want to add any last points into there? I guess I'll just say one quick thing. I think it's one thing I just like learned over the years of putting ways of working into place is you've got to be really deliberate about what you say is like mandatory and flexible as a leader. You know, like I think at different times I've been too hard on the mandatory piece and at different times I've been too too open with you know, everything, just do everything the way you want it. And and they they both lead to bad places. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, as a leader, I think it's about getting the balance uh, there. And if the team, and if you're really on the same page, that you have a shared understanding there with the team, then they embrace that and they, they understand, like, what we really need to achieve, but also just how they can bring, like, the creativity that everyone's mentioned into that place and then it, when you get into that zone then it, you have a team you know you, as a leader you're part of the team as well and and the team is part of the team uh, so yeah just wanted to throw that in awesome thanks for that ben well i think that wraps it up well and, and we'll move on to the next question which is from elijah being how do you support engineers who are transitioning from being completely on the tools to lead other engineers and drive bigger initiatives. So Ben, I'm going to go back to you uh, and get you to start this one off. Sure. Um, yeah. Look, my I've got a bit of a pet pet tactic, I guess, a favorite tactic here. I, I love a role that's a temporary step up type role. Uh, we have a role in, in Quilla we call delivery lead. It's it's basically running a project. Uh, I, I know. Yeah. Atlassian has a similar role, Others, other companies do too, and it just allows an engineer just to step up temporarily and, and run a project. Uh, and so I think it's important it's temporary. Uh, they're, they're trying it out and they know they can just kind of go back to their uh, their sort of solo work mode before, before that, but they usually get a bit of shock of like, oh, hang on, I'm actually responsible for other people's work, right, not just my own, and, and, and that can, uh, that leads to the second part, which is just so important to support them through that um, from, from their manager level and others around them too. Uh, in my experience, what they're usually struggle, starting to struggle with when they're doing that is time management, because uh, it, it they could control their own time, but all of a sudden there's just this massive time factor with other people's work. And the second one is interpersonal relationships. Like you could, you know, you apply an engineering mindset, you can logic it out as to how it should all work, but then people people are involved. And they're, they're often just, I mean, they're used to interpersonal relationships from, from a collaboration point of view, but I, the need to influence steps up. Uh, and that's a, that can be a new thing. Uh, to to engineers who are maybe a little more introverted in, in their nature, so so supporting them in that, helping them understand um, those interpersonal dynamics. So I'd say it's just giving that temporary step up, but then really being there to coach these emerging leadership traits that uh, they're experiencing possibly uh, for the first time. 
Awesome. Thanks, Ben. Uh, Isabel, get your thoughts next. Yeah, this is my most well, interesting topic for me because when I first became a manager about 15 years ago, I hated it. I hated it because <laughs> I really enjoy coding and I like doing things, creating things by myself, not for myself, but by myself. And I took pride in what I did. But then because I was successful in my software engineering career as an engineer, I got promoted or I, I chased after this next level, which is the manager, management level. And I was like Ben said, suddenly responsible for other people. I, I don't know how they work. I don't know whether they think the same way as I did. And I, I don't know anything about management. And I actually went back to individual contributor role after a year of being a manager. And I, if I look back now, I think the reason why I felt so out of place was because I didn't know what the expectation of the role was. The expectation of the role was not for me to like cope five times more because I have five people. It's more about like being a multiplier. So the mindset change is needed. Like being understanding what is the expectation of the role. You don't have to be on the front line solving every problem as a manager or someone responsible for the for the team, small team or big team, but being there for the people, like giving them guidance when necessary is very important. So now these days when I have people who wants to move into management, my first reaction is to understand why. Are you doing this because you want to level up in your career? Is it what you really need it. And they might not have the answer and it's okay. So it's important for them to understand what's the expectation of the role, think about it. And after you think about it and you still want to go for it, yes, I will support you, but you need to allow me to coach you as well. And sometimes I've had people who say, I want to become a manager or engineering manager because I'm good with people. Okay, <laughs> it's good that you're good with people, but there's a responsibility part to it as well. And you can't just, as a manager, you have responsibility. You just, you can't just be a nice and lovely person all the time, right? Sometimes you need to have like tough conversation. You need to hold people accountable. So these are the things that I try to explain to people who wants to move into the management. I will coach them. I will hold them accountable, but they also need to pull their weight and understand what's expected. And management is not for everyone and it's okay. If someone decide after a while that they don't want to become a manager, they are much better off being an individual contributor, becoming an architect or whatever. It's fine. It's good. Do what you like to do and <laughs> do your best because I always think life is too short. Don't just become a manager because you think it's like the next big thing for your career. Nice. Thanks, that is well. And Alex, you next. <clears throat> yep. Um, I guess transitioning from an IC to a lead role can be a challenging uh, for many engineers. You know, you've got to shift for the mindset, you've got to shift for the responsibilities, um, you've got to shift from everything, basically. Um, suddenly, your success is no longer how much you can build, but uh, how your team can build or have the ability to build. So I guess um, I like I like what Ben mentioned about the shadowing role or temporary step up uh, because uh, we try to encourage our engineers to kind of uh, having the opportunities to, to step up as well. So we got the, the good concept where we allow certain um, developers to be able to guide and lead um, a group of engineers um, to on, on certain areas, like the front end or the back end or, you know, cyber side areas and whatnot. Um, but I think I resonate with what Isabel says as well, uh, where we, we need to have, I guess, when, when people come to me and say they want to be an, uh, a manager, I guess that the first thing that I will do is to have a clear um, role description to them about what this role is about, uh, what you are involved in, what are res the responsibilities, uh, the objectives, and, and what, what are your scope of, of, the, of your job? Because essentially you are managing and are responsible for people now, no longer just the, the product itself. So it, it's a bigger uh, scope uh, impact, I would say. Um, and I guess generally, um, when when people do, do come to me about about these conversations it's about how we can how i can provide them with supports and coaching as well at the same time 
sometimes I find that uh, the direct manager is not the best person to be to be their coach, uh, and that's where I try to find uh, the find some I guess uh, any other seniors manager that are, uh, are keen to to help them to support them uh, on this journey at the same time, and we work together with them. Um, I think lastly, it's about giving the space uh, for for them to grow. So because uh, you know they they need it, allow them to to make the mistakes and learn from them. Uh, that's one of the things that I always uh, do because I, I I believe that that is the the easiest way for people to learn and understand uh, what needs to be uh, what are the corrective uh, steps they need to go through. Uh, give them the space to experiment uh, different approaches and strategies. Right, uh, provide them with the feedback. In clarity and transparent about what you know, what needing, what what should you improved on? What are the areas that you should be working on, or what are things that you have done greatly and you should you should continue to, to work on it? So um, that's generally how I uh, approach it with with this. Awesome, thanks, Alex and Elijah. Good to wrap us up. Fantastic. Some really good answers there, which I actually took some notes as we we're going because there's some some really great points. But similar to I think Alex and and Ben, we we use this a common model, which is a really good testing strategy to try it out when maybe it's three months, maybe it's six months, but it's a really good opportunity to get an engineer into the role and starting to think about it. They don't need to prove too much. It's just a really safe testing ground. So from that, I think it's really important to give them that that step change to say, you know, instead of this confusing, blurry, oh, now you're going to start picking up some extra responsibilities, we can make it really clear and go, you're actually stepping into a new role as of this day. Let's have a conversation, prepare for that. And so I think that mental, that pivot is really important um, if we're looking at that, that step change or the transition. Although there is that softer way where we can start to, you know, hopefully build up some of those um, those leadership skills up to that point. I think that comes before and then when they're ready to make that jump, we we have to respect the growth they've been on and and, and reward them with that opportunity to step in and really prove themselves. Um, I'm I'm a huge fan of just positive encouragement in in the right way, not being, you know, and obviously giving feedback where it's required, but I found so many times there's often so much self-doubt with whether they can or can't do that role and step into it. And I think that's where it's really important for us as people leaders, as managers to be able to reflect back to them some of their positive traits um, and why we think that they're able to do that job and, and instill a little bit of that self-belief because think for some of us who've been you know I think around here is would have been managers for a number of years now and it's and it's very easy to forget how scary that jump is um and so for us it's either oh yeah great you're going to step into a lead developer role or an architect role or something like that and you know we want to see managing people it's just one one step but there's a huge identity change for for these engineers often um, around hang on, I've, I'm known for writing the best code and doing the, you know, getting features out the fastest. What am I going to be known for? Um, and so I think that's really a conversation around how we, you know, encourage them, how do we shift their identity? And exactly to Isabel's point, how do we start to get them to see themselves as a force multiplier? You know, others' success becomes their success. The success of their team becomes theirs and they're really there to help drive and support and enable. So, um, a few things there, but it's, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think just finally the, you know, it doesn't mean saying we've had it as a bit of a fear is, oh, what if I lose my technical skills? If I get off the tools, what if, what if I forget how to code? What if I forget my technical skills? Um, but often there's that mentoring side and it's more using those technical skills in a, in a different way. Uh, it doesn't look like, you know, creating heaps of pull requests all the time, but it might look like pairing and sitting next to some of the more junior engineers and sharing their insights from, from that side. So uh, that's definitely a fear we see come up, I think. And, and you know, Isabel, you guys would have gone through that yourselves, I'm sure. So, yeah, it's been it's, it's, it's quite fun, but I really took a lot out of those answers that you guys gave. So appreciate that. Awesome. Thanks, Elijah. Anyone want to jump in yeah. last? I want to add something about like losing your technical skills. So this morning on Twitter, someone was asking me, Isabel, are you worried about losing your technical skill? I'm like, I already lost it, right? <laughs> it's fine. But if I one day I decide to become a developer again, I will dedicate like say three to six months to perfecting this skill again, becoming proficient again. So it's 
not about losing it or not losing it. Like, don't worry about it. You are building new skill, right? Management skill, leadership skills. So, if again, I don't want to live my life thinking, oh, what if I lose this or that? I want to be good at what I'm doing right now. And if my situation or circumstances or my appetite change in the future, I can adjust. And I think that's very powerful because earlier in my management career as well, I was always getting this formal, oh, there's this new technology. I want to be the one to like write and code in it. And I wasn't because I was a team lead and manager. And this actually limited this actually limited me in achieving my potential as a manager. So I think it's important to realize that you will lose your technical skill, but you can gain it again. I remain somewhat delusional that I still have <laughs> capabilities. Uh, and and, and you know, yeah, I think you end up thinking about that you see patterns in technology as well come and go. And perhaps as I get older, I think, oh, it's the same thing again in another uh, you know iteration. Uh, or form, uh, and you sort of get a bit more meta on the, what technology is. So, uh, yeah, but I, I just support that too of uh, always remaining in touch with it and remaining grounded in it. Um, and uh, I, that's why when I'm hiring, I, if I'm hiring a manager and they haven't had that foundation um, as an engineer, I know they're going to have a lot of challenges uh, leading other technologists. And we call it tech chops, right? Like the ability to still have really strong technical conversations. Uh, and and I, I seeing that map from those engineering skills through to those technical strategy conversations, I think is where that skill stays alive. Um, and it's important to, to, to understand that 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 it's like, like it didn't go, you didn't lose it. It's it's, it's just changed form, right? <laughs> You're coding with people a little bit. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Ben. And look, we'll move on to our, our last question now, which is, which is from Ben yourself, which is, to what degree should business or technology strategy take into account what motivates engineers? So, Isabel, I'm going to go back to you and get you to start this one off. Yeah. Cool. So you are not going to like my answer because I kept <laughs> thinking about it. Is it important? How important? And it depends, right? The answer is it depends. There's no clear answer. And it depends on the industry that you work in and the size and maturity of the company. So if we are talking about startup and software company, which, where most of us are in, it's super important to be grounded in the business and technology strategy when you are talking to engineers. So I would generally encourage engineers to be aware of what they are building, why, what's the strategy where we want to go for in the next two to three years, not too long because technology landscape is always changing, but at least to next 18 months to two years, they should be aware of the vision when they are creating like solution, they should be considering what the future vision look like and it's important to motivate them that way as well especially with this new generation i don't know what's the generation maybe generation z they they want to have this purpose in their work like they want to do something come to work because they are fulfilling some sort of purpose and if you don't motivate them with this strategy then they will quickly lose their interest in the role and what they are doing. So it is super important for certain type of company and especially if you are hiring people who are new in the workforce. And the other thing that I was thinking of also was not everyone can be motivated with this kind of strategy. Like I mentioned earlier, everyone is different, right? Some people just want to be excited by the latest and greatest technology use these, doesn't matter what the business goal is, and it's fine. But as leader, it depends on what sort of environment we want to create. Do we want to create a team of product engineer? Then we need to try and find these kind of people and feed them during interviews. So this is also important as well. It's not possible to try and put a square peg in a round hole, right? If you are looking for a certain type of engineer, try and feed them as early as possible and try and attract them as much as possible. But if this is not important to your organization because of some other reason, then you don't need to try and talk about it and try to motivate them all the time with this business strategy or technology strategy. So it's important to know what 
where you want to go, what are important to your team and to your organization and find these people, the right people, and then encourage them. Awesome. Thanks, Isabel. And Alex? Um, yeah, I guess it, it really all depends. Uh, I guess to me, it's the organization's goal. Uh, and it's different between, you know, if you're working for a startup or a or more mature enterprise, you know, the, 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 the culture will be different, right? The, and the types of engineers that we're looking at will be different or looking after. There's no one size that's going to fit, you know, all of them. Uh, every, everyone is different uh, in terms of their motivations uh, or what motivates them. Uh, but I think uh, on top of my mind, uh, what I always have in mind is that um, as, as a leader, I guess, uh, one of my job is try to always justify the value, right? Whenever, um, you know, system improvement or whatever hackathon that the developers want to do, we always try to justify the value and translate it into uh, how it's going to impact the business. And so that is the way to to create some opportunities for the developers to have the space to to work on the stuff that really motivates them or, or they are interested in. But having said that, it's it's always uh, needing to come back to align with the business goal itself, right? Um, there are times where you know we need to roll out things fast. Um, then that's the time where we need to put a hard stop on everything and just go forward with with the delivery. Uh, but there are also times where we have the capacity. Then that's that's when we try to uh, squeeze in all these things and create a space for for the developers to to help them to to keep them interest uh, in what they are doing, right? Um, as Isabel said, uh, there are engineers that's always looking for the latest and greatest. <laughs> um, there are engineers that are really comfortable with uh, what they are doing and just want to keep it that way. So it all differs uh, depending on, on the people and the personalities as well. Um, it is important, but I think at the end of the day, it, it comes down to what we want to achieve from the business or from the organization's point of view. Thanks, that, Alex. Uh, Elijah? This is such a good question. And to be honest, I think my answer is shifting with each answer that I listen to. Um, I I think there's two lenses for me. I think the first one, probably from a bit of a different angle, I think there's a discussion around ROI that has to come into it for the business around what what is the return on investment of building engineering motivations into the technology strategy? What, what is the reason we're trying to do it? Is that is it to try and increase our retention rate? Are we seeing huge attrition for some reason? You know, maybe we think that if we align some of the motivations with our tech strategy, we're going to have a have better a pipeline of talent in the business. Maybe we're unable to attract talent. Maybe we're just seeing wrong fits in hiring. Um, so there's all sorts of different things. And I think that return on investment or, you know, the, what's the value of really doing that, I think, is something that each business will have to articulate for their own use case. I think it's really hard to say, you know, in general terms, but, you know, there's so many different challenges we can run into. And I think we have to be really mindful and each business will have to answer that question themselves. I do think though, similar to what Isabel and Alex have both said, I think there's a, such a scale part that um, plays into it around, you know, as a smaller engineering team, let's say we've got five engineers, it's far easier to, you know, have conversations around motivations and desires and technology strategy and try and find something that works for the business but works for that core group of founding engineers. And, you know, that's something that they're probably going to be really excited to try and build new products, get things out to production really fast, do proof of concepts. It's a bit scrappy. It's it's a bit fun. It's a bit wild. Um, but as I think Alex said, when you get to, like, let's say we've got a thousand engineers, well, then, you know, probably 80% of the work realistically is we're trying to resolve tech debt and doing transformation pieces and the work slows down and it becomes a lot more process and BAU and the excitement and the innovation and the scrappiness of that startup phase um, wasn't there. And I think the technology strategy and Ben, I'm very excited to hear your answer because you've got that role. But you know, I think that technology strategy will will mature and shift as the business does. And so I think it depends what the stage of the business is and it depends on the size of the team. Um, but it, yeah, it's, it's such a great question. I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing your answer. <laughs> Put me under pressure there. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, I, I do think you, you, uh, you have to start by recognizing the answer is, well, of course it matters. You know, motivation mm. matters. Like the worst business culture is one that ignores it, that 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 says, "Well, you're here to do a job." Uh, and whether it is just if it's about generational traits, as Isabel pointed out, or uh, just 
sub, submodern world now, we, we just understand that motivation is a key part of velocity. We talked about measuring velocity before. And if, if you don't ignore the, the relationship between, uh, sorry, if you do ignore the relationship between motivation and velocity, then you're missing a really key component of what makes an effective engineering team, right? So, um, so then I think it does, a business then can look at it and go, wow, perks, you know, that will motivate them. And, and it does to a degree, but it's, it's reasonably shallow because uh, you know, what engineers really care about is they're motivated with their work and, and, and the impact that their work makes. It's, it's what they spend most of their, their time on. Uh, and and I, I've already heard my answer and what everyone said in different ways. So it's just mostly, I think, pulling it together to understand that you really are in the middle uh, as uh, between business and technology, as as a, as a leader, as a technology leader, uh, and you do have two you have two roles, and you know you they but one goes in one direction and, and one goes uh, in the other. If you're a good technology leader, you understand the business, you understand what the business needs to be successful, and you are representing that to your team. You are you are you are seeking to energize them with that, and and of course you want to hire people like as uh, as we were called out rightly so. That, that, that strike that connection with the mission of the company because that means that there's, there's going to be that that ongoing connection and motivation just to make um, the business successful. Uh, but then there's the other side of it too uh, where you, you, you look at engineers, they don't want to be yak-shaving 10-year-old code uh, forever, for the most part. For the most, not, maybe there are engineers that do, but, you know, it, it, they want to see sustainable development. They want to see transformation coupled with business impact. And this is where you get into, I think, the ninja moves of, uh, of technology leadership, where you can demonstrate how transformation does make that impact. I think Alex is on that mentioned ROI and, and, and calling out those kinds of transformation benefits as well. Uh, sadly, I think some leaders fall into the trap of being like too far one way or the other. They... They're either, they're either servants to the business to the point where they're not connected with what really motivates their engineers, or they're on a kind of crusade to rewrite the thing. <laughs> and and the business doesn't under, quite understand why they're on that crusade uh, and because they, they haven't been able to, to, to use the right words to demonstrate the value and, and to break things down in a way where it's a progressive journey that proves itself as it goes rather than trust us, we'll be back in six months, it'll be great. Um, you know, so uh, that's a really hard balance to, to hold, I think, as a technology leader. And it is contextual to where your business is, like where we're at with the startup now, so even in Quilla. We're, we're moving and we're changing, scale starting to increase. And so that, that means all those parameters are changing. And, and, and you're, you're, you're narrating the journey. I like the idea of narrating the journey there when those parameters start to change, where we, we do need to focus on a, the next three months is a bit this way. Come with us on this journey because we need to focus in this way. It's not just, this is us, this is how we roll. Uh, and, and so I think it's it's a nuanced thing, bringing all those factors, representing the business, representing technology to the business, but then telling the story, the narration, quarter on quarter, year on year, uh, and because then everyone is part of that journey. They're on that journey, and, and their motivation is the journey that changes. It's not, this is just just, just me. Uh, and so I think that's the, the getting into that pro zone where you can really uh, lead a team on a journey. Awesome. Thanks for that, Ben. Any last thoughts? Anyone want to add anything to, to wrap us up or we finish it there? Well, look, we'll finish it there. Uh, look, appreciate everyone, Ben, Elijah, Isabel, Alex, for, for jumping on today. I think there's some great answers uh, around the topic, which was how to cultivate a motivated, accountable and driven engineering team. So thanks again and thanks everyone for listening and we'll see you all next time on the Evolution Exchange. Thanks.